New in-depth research into the experience of single parents paints a picture of discrimination and stigma, with many saying when they asked government agencies for protection, they ended up being investigated. I had fled and left everything behind. I had no clothing, I had a 10-week-old baby, um, had no money in the account. 67% of low-income single mothers said they had been treated unfairly or discriminated against. 32% said that this had been at the hands of work and income. So a lot of times people will be like, well, that was your fault, you're actually entitled to this and you should have looked into it. But if you don't know that exists, you don't know where to look to even begin to start. Single parents also reported discrimination by landlords, employers, real estate agents and schools. I would run out to try and find out where the property was and what time it was, um, and they would vet me. And when they found out I was a single mum, they would tell me that the house wasn't for me, and they refused to tell me what time or whereabouts the, the viewing was. So I couldn't even apply for those properties. I'm Alexia Russell, and today on The Detail, the stigma and discrimination that still faces solo parents. You'd have thought those days were over, but they're not. I was um, raised by a single mother in the 1970s and have strong experience or memories of the stigma that, that we um, confronted. Uh, and I truly thought that we had moved beyond that, and it seems that we have not. That's Tanya Domit from the Marco Mama Mangapare Project, a major new report on the country's single parents. The work was carried out by Project Gender in conjunction with Ngāti Kahununu. Its authors say a fundamental shift is required in how the government, businesses and society think about and engage with single parents. Some of the changes they're asking for are big and would need new legislation, but some are ridiculously simple like removing the requirement for two parents to sign approval for a KiwiSaver account for their children. Often people become single parents due to some kind of family trauma or some kind of family violence. And so often it's really hard for to get two parents to sign and can be used as a kind of weapon. So we, you know, like, let's just get rid of that. Like, why do we have to have two parents to sign it? That seems pretty kind of like 1950s, you know. Angela Meyer is the director of Project Gender. We were approached by the Peter McKenzie Trust um, and we were asked, or commissioned rather, to do this piece of work about how do we actually find out what the sector and single parents need and want um, in order to thrive in this country. Were you expecting to find such an avalanche of, in this day and age, still stigmatised people? To be honest, I was really surprised by the level of discrimination and stigma that single parents face across all aspects of their life. You know, obviously, when the DPB came out, there was a lot of, you know, spying on people Mm. and, and, you know, calling the authorities on, you know, women who had men in their house or gentlemen callers, that type of thing. But I was was genuinely surprised by how deep that stigma still is and how um, pervasive it is in not only society, but also in how our systems are actually developed in terms of of legislation as well. But we you know we have a situation where what what's the percentage is it one in 3 relationships break up? Yeah, I mean it's a really high percentage. You know, 20% of New Zealand families are single parent whānau. You know, um there's what is it 7 70,000 over 70,000 single parents receiving the single parent benefit in this country. So it's not insignificant. And I know men are included in this, but you'd say the vast majority are women. Absolutely, yeah. And that that comes down to the way in which um, childcare is very much gendered in our society. Um, And so, yeah, the majority of single parent whanau are women, absolutely, yeah. 
So tell me how you went about collecting collecting this information. So what we did was we we developed a really amazing survey that Tanya Demet, our head of research, developed, and then we went out with Erin Jackson, who's one of our directors at Project Gender, and we went out all through our different channels and worked with lots of other different organisations. We did some media around it, and we also made it as accessible as possible. So in the survey design, we worked with a lot of single parents and said, you know, is there anything else that we need to really make sure that we ask in this survey? And then we also ran different focus groups around the motu, which were, you know, very well attended. Yeah. Now, one of those people in one of those focus groups was Emma Donnelly, who I've also spoke to, and she talked about the interagency communication lacking and how difficult that makes it for solo mums to negotiate their way around the system. One of the harder ones was being on a social welfare system. It's not tailored to individuals. It, the, the departments don't interrelate or they don't communicate between each other. Um, and they kind of set you up in a system to fail. Is this surely something that should have been tidied up years ago? Um, in a word, yes. Um, we, we heard from a lot of single parents saying that one of the things that is most difficult is, yeah, the navigating of the system. And so that can be from, um, you know, when you have a child, you don't just interact with one agency. You interact with a lot of agencies. You know, life is all about lots of different agencies. And um, we, you know, we were really surprised by how Often you might, for example, be flagged in the system. And so that sort of whakapapa of your um, single parentness actually is, is kind of across the whole system. So you're flagged as a solo parent? Yeah, often you are. Yeah. And all the stigma that comes with that. And the other thing is that the WINS system, in spite of the fact that there is a benefit for solo mothers, doesn't appear to value children. I mean, the idea seems to be that you get back to part-time work, then full-time work. Why is there not this recognition that children are precious and need mum time? That is a great and big question. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of it does come down to this the, the gendered ideas of who looks after children and that, you know, women's work is often not valued. And so, yeah, this idea that, you you know, you're lucky to get a little, you know, here's some money, um, you can stay home for a bit, but we need you back in paid employment. And when we were working in our stakeholder hui around developing, you know, our 82 recommendations, one of the things that was really strong in that was that children actually are this very precious commodity. You know, we do have a falling birth rate. And why why is it that they are not the centre of all of our decision making? And this idea that, yeah, you you as as mothers, as parents, should really be back in the paid workforce, but also we don't have childcare support. So for a single parent to be able to go back into the paid workforce, there needs to be childcare and childcare subsidies and, and employers to actually really understand that and be, you know, lean into flexibility. Um, but that's often not there. And it's the little things too. I mean, I saw in your recommendations you should allow parents to bring in their children to wins interviews. Yeah. And that strikes me as crazy. What you, You're a single mum and you can't bring your child to work and income. Yeah, we heard that from a lot of our single parents, that they would then have to find childcare to go, yeah, to go into work and income to talk about how they were going to get into paid work and you cannot even bring your children. So it just, it, it sort of highlights how 
unless you have this kind of lens where you're thinking about what does it actually mean to be a single parent, what what are all of those barriers to being a single parent in terms of how we interact with the world, it's very easy to just be like, okay, well, the blanket rule is no children allowed at the interviews. But actually we need to kind of think about, like, walk in the shoes of single parents and go, yeah. well, who's going to look after these children? Yeah, and, I mean, if they don't have grandma to dump the kid on. Yeah, which also yeah. speaks to the whole kind of gendered idea of who looks after children. It's like, oh, well, then your parents will look after them. And a lot of parents, you know, a lot of our single parents um, may not be living close to their fa- family or to their whanau, um, which makes, again, that very, it's a very isolating experience for a lot of single parents, yeah. Childcare is a huge issue, and certainly it was for Emma Donnelly, who ended up going into debt when her childcare cost more than she earned. I couldn't actually cover the bills with what I was being paid. I was like, how do people live off this? Like, I, I literally can't afford to eat on this, which was insane. And so I got work, but by getting work, if you, so they only give you nine hours childcare at the beginning for free or subsidised care. Um, and then anything over $200 is secondary tax. So it's actually not worth your while really earning. For me, it was over about 10 hours a week um, because at that point I would get secondary tax plus have to pay full amounts for childcare, which ate away my entire pay. So I actually ended up worse off. So if I got a shift that was 12 hours, I had less money than if I just hadn't worked that week. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's kind of set up so that you you go into part-time work and then they really just want you back into full-time work. But they make it really hard because when you've got such a young baby, you can't afford childcare like that and there isn't childcare options to subsidise that many hours. Um, And if there are, they don't tell you about it and they don't help you with it. And you might have, say, a caseworker that you build a relationship with at MSD, but they don't connect to the child supports or the childcare services. Um, It's a completely different department that don't communicate. So you're transferred to somebody else who doesn't know you and doesn't really care and then if you enter in an incorrect amount or something changes in the week, so I was doing waitressing, so my shifts changed every week at what I earned. And if I had not put it in quick enough or I had had to work an extra two hours that week, um, suddenly I would end up in debt because that meant that the week I had to anticipate what I was going to earn that week, but my shifts could change. And that's not how MSC is set up. So I kept ending up in debt. So it's just one hurdle after another. Every time you feel like you're trying to make steps forward, you're actually making steps back. When Emma did get into a position where she could apply for jobs she was highly qualified for, she hit other hurdles. A lot of people have stigmas around, I guess, employing a single mum. So I was told I should be grateful for a lot of the positions that I was overqualified for um, and that they'd even considered me as a single mum for that and they would bring in the fact that I was a single mum. I remember having bosses joke that, you know, I'd be better off if I put my daughter into boarding school as soon as I could so that at least I can focus on my career because I'm a smart girl and it's a shame to waste it, Um, rather than actually trying to provide an environment where I could do that and still have a life outside of work for for her. Mm. Do you think that there's been permanent damage from those years, those struggling years? Um, I think what it's done is it's made me um, it's made me really resilient. 
it's forced me to be assertive, which has actually been a really positive thing. It's pushed me to actually ask for what I need and to communicate to people. So if I go for a job, um, I negotiate. I, I don't see a job as um, this is the be-all and end-all of it when I'm applying for it. Um, if I get an interview, I will discuss with them, you know, is there flexibility around school holidays? Is there a possibility to do it within these hours? Would you consider this pay rate because of my set of skills that I bring to the table mm. and my life experience? So I think in some ways it's it's shaped me into a stronger person, but I definitely had to fight really, really hard to get there. And what um, what did you tell this focus group that you, that would have improved things for you? So the key things for me were employers. Employers need to consider flexibility. They should definitely consider hiring single mums. We worked hard and we're there afraid of um, mums working, I guess, part-time or, um, you know, worried that we're going to take time off to, to tend to sick children. We're actually we're actually really good at looking after our health and our kids because we have to. We can't afford a day off work. So one of the things I prioritise is me and my daughter being really healthy, uh, making sure we had vitamins and, and um, had strong immunities because I couldn't afford to have back-to-back-to-back bugs and take that time off work. There was no one else paying bill so I needed to show up so being considerate um, finding workarounds for people if you know I got a bonus at the end of the year which actually put me in debt with MSD because I was still partially on a benefit that they hadn't told me about it was a nice surprise but that actually turned out to, to hurt me so you know there's all sorts of other things that you can provide help with that make it easier you could pay for the internet bill if they work remotely from home and cover that cost for them which would save them a huge amount per month. I know there's a lot of things you, you said that Business and terms we talk about business now mm. that, that do require a a very big change in attitude, a better adaptability, flexibility from employers. Surely we have had now, have, having had the pandemic, some experience of flexibility working from home. Surely this would now get better. Surely it would. <laughs> um, what we've what we're finding is that even though we have this you know national shortage of of workers, essentially, you know, this war for talent. Um, It's still very difficult, I think, for a lot of employers to actually think about what flexibility means. And I think for a lot of people, that means someone's going to be sitting at home not really working. But as we have seen through the pandemic, that's actually not true. These senior positions actually can be done in part-time hours. You'd be amazed at what people can get done in 30 hours a week, especially because we're having to try and fill time so carefully. As a single mum, you have to be everywhere at once and doing 100 things at a time. So we usually work smarter, not harder. And so I think it's a real shame and a real disservice that you have these incredible women wanting to come back into employment after having successful careers or perhaps going through study or wanting to better themselves and not having opportunities to go into those or having to sacrifice time with their children and put them into care. We see that productivity has really increased. When we give agency to people to manage their time... When we trust them. When we trust them, absolutely, yeah. But there are little things too, like a a no meetings after 3pm rule. I mean, that makes so much sense. It would not be a difficult thing to implement. No, not at all. And it's actually really useful for all parents. You know, it's not just um, single parents that would benefit from that, you know, or, you know, sometimes businesses will have, you have to be in the office at eight o'clock. And now, 
that is really, really difficult for all parents to be there, and especially so for single parents. I mean, employers, big companies, they have the green tick, they have the LGBTQ plus tick. They seem to have been able to get their heads around differences in the workplace. But it feels like single parents are are kind of invisible. There's no networks for them. Where is the support? Yeah, that was definitely one of our recommendations that, um, that again, came out of our stakeholder hui. And it was like, well, yeah, if we can have these other support services, why do we not have um, support for single parents? And so that's a really easy, quick win for businesses to actually start implementing, even if it in this stage, it is actually just a support group for other single parents. Right, just, or an acknowledgement. Just put something in the newsletter. Yeah, yeah. or an acknowledgement that we understand, we see you. Um, and that was something that was really incredible for us as Project Gender and our, and our iwi partner, Ngāti Kahununu, was so many women called us and said, thank you. You know, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to tell our story. No one has ever asked us before. Which actually breaks my heart because I think it's 2023 and we haven't asked people what what their experiences are and how we as a country can support them. This strikes me too, this is not simply about solo parents, it's about children. And, you know, do, how do you feel that New Zealand as a nation treats its children, values its children? Well, there has been a lot of talk um, for a long time about child poverty, And that hasn't really gone away. It hasn't gone away, you know. So I would say that actually we're not really valuing our children. We're not valuing the caregiving responsibilities that often fall to women. And if we do really want to make sure that we have um, a generation of people who are, you know, thriving and able to support an ageing population, then we are going to have to really shift the way in which we think about how we develop policies and systems to be much more child-focused. Well, and you talk about generations of people. This becomes, by default, intergenerational, doesn't it? Absolutely. You we're saying that you know that they can't start a KiwiSaver account because they have no spare money and nobody's contributing. Yeah, and we first of all, when we got all of the insights back from from the research piece, we had you know eight key insight areas, and one of them was access to financial institutions and security. And a lot of that comes down to things like single parents find it really difficult to insure their car or to have contents insurance, or to have access to um, to KiwiSaver. So with the, with the idea of compounding interest, for example, if you're not able to start paying into your KiwiSaver as soon as possible, it means that you're going to retire into poverty. And we've seen that, you know, the Retirement Commission have done the study about the, the gendered pay gap, which is sitting at 20%. Plus, when you also load on top of the fact that you might be a single parent on a low income, then you've got the gender pay gap, you've got the motherhood penalty, you have all of these things that make it so much more difficult for our single parent mama in particular to be able to actually kind of get out of this financial trap, essentially. Mm. So you're kind of condemning people to a life of poverty and intergenerational poverty. And yet Emma was a classic case of someone wildly talented, had a fantastic job and was pouring coffee and waiting tables just so that she fitted in with the system. Yeah. That strikes me as a a waste of 
national talent. <laughs> to, to be honest, I think it is, and I think that this sort of speaks to the stigma piece, where there is this idea that you know, and we definitely heard this from our single parents that they were kind of naughty girls who should be thankful for anything they got. That's exactly what Emma said. Yeah, I mean, this is not an unusual um, experience, which also then means that if that's the lens in which we are creating policy, then. We're not thinking about, wow, there's these wildly talented people. And we know that actually the majority of single parents are university educated. So it's like there is this massive talent pool ready and willing to work, but we need to redesign the system to be able to do that and to make sure that if people get into paid work, those other support systems, those abatement periods are actually a little bit longer that enable our single parent whānau to actually be able to build up enough capital to give them a head start. To give them a head start, yeah. There is, of course, another side to the sole parent equation. Actually, we need to start holding these fathers to account as well. We need to make sure that as a society, we don't just always assume that women are going to be the ones responsible for this child caring responsibility. We also need to be really leaning into our the, our tāne, our fathers, to be encouraging them and expecting them to be fully participating in their children's lives. But there would be more split parenting situations now. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So largely we're talking about the ones who are facing issues are the ones whose dad's gone, died, not taking any responsibility, etc. Yeah, when you, are, when you have sole custody of your children, I mean, that is... Frankly, they need medals. You know, that is such an incredibly difficult job. And as a society, I think we can actually be much more connected. And as we saw with with COVID, we know how to do this. Like, we actually do know how to look after each other. And I would, you know, our recommendations are actually to kind of keep working and leaning into that and actually thinking about, you know, one of our single parents spoke about how she would just love someone to help her fix her letterbox that had a crack in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's things like that. And so we, we're really interested in, like, well, what could happen in terms of, you know, we have this retired population who are really open to, you know, being more involved in the community, and we have our single parents. And is there a way that these two groups can kind of work together? Is there some way that, you know, as neighbourhoods we can be much more connected with, with each other and actually be able to support each other? If there's one thing that could come out of this big body of work you've been doing, what would you like it to be? It would be to remove the stigma around being a single parent. That is the single biggest issue that our single parents face. It's a huge issue. And I think as a country and as as New Zealanders, we can do a lot better and we deserve to do a lot better by these amazing people who are bringing up the next generation of New Zealanders. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The details supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Flo Wilson and produced by Sarah Robson. Thanks to Emma Donnelly and Angela Meyer. Ka kite anō.